Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome back to Doggone Good Information. I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Heidi. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Always happy to uh, get on the air with you and talk about animals, particularly dogs. Yes, absolutely. So uh, somebody who may not be excited about dogs came out. I was reading up on dog stories this week. The United States Postal Service. In 2022, 5,300 mail carriers were bitten by dogs. Wow. So they might not be as excited as us about dogs. <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> so they, it's, it's, uh, it was picked up by Fox, and um, part of it is putting out the statistic, and the other part of it is asking people to be mindful of you know the fact that the mail carriers are taking their life in their hands when they're trying to deliver the mail. Maybe they need to change their motto. What is it? Through uh, snow and rain and sleet. And dogs, right. we will deliver <laughs> your mail. <laughs> we'll even work through dogs. <laughs> so, you know, there are uh, dogs loose in the yard. And one of the things we both know is resource guarding, right? And when of you course. tie up a dog or you uh, put them in a fenced-in area and they're comfortable in that area and then they recognize that's their domain. So I could probably couldn't be a mail carrier because I legitimately afraid of getting bit by a dog and um they they actually well, you'd probably stop and train the dog and well quit yeah delivering i, I the forget mail. <laughs> delivering the mail there's that <laughs> they do actually try to train their their mail carriers in how to not startle dogs and how to assess if there is a dog and of course similar routes are going to have the similar scenarios but nonetheless that's a pretty high statistic and that's scary you know and there's bigger, you know, more aggressive breeds out there. And yeah, for sure. There was a story not long ago where a, a male carrier female was actually mauled by five dogs and didn't find her right away. Was oh, no. Really bad story. But hopefully that's, you know, hopefully that's the exception. But anyhow, so if you're, especially if you're in a rural route or like you, they come up to your house and drop it through the slot, correct? Yeah, my mailbox is actually on the side of my house. Okay. Um, so it actually it goes into a slot and then down into a little uh, box Are you inside my house. To get through a gate? Uh, no. Okay. There's no gate on the front side. Okay. Um, Just so Jimmy Dean on the inside the, letting him know that. Correct. It's time to go. Leave your yes. mail and get out of here. Make your exit, please, and thank you. <laughs> so that was just something that I wanted to bring up because it really is, uh, really is a scary statistic. And God bless our mail carriers, right? Yeah, and I think I mean the point of that is it's if you own the dog, it's your responsibility yeah. to make sure that that dog is uh, confined appropriately um, and then well handled. Yeah. Um, and if you want a dog that is has a job of being protective or has a, a territory that you want them to have that, um, which a lot of people do, and especially in, in rural areas sure. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, then you need to make arrangements to have your mail delivered not within that territory. Yeah. I mean, you could always do a post office box or something else. So that really good point on that, Tommy, that if, you know, and we do understand there are people who want 
want those dogs that will guard their place. I've lived, yeah. we've lived rural and we had a great Dane, <laughs> sweetest dog in the world. Huge, big Harlequin. My mom actually had a couple over the years. And you, the the UPS guy, God bless him, would drive in the, um, and he'd honk, wouldn't get out of the truck. And the dog, her name was Spangles, would come over and want to say hi, you know, but had the, <laughs> the biggest, deepest bark, you know, terrifying. Woof, oh, woof, yeah, they woof. can be intimidating. Yeah, so uh, it was always funny. But they lived out in the country and had horses and property. So, you know, that was, that was the mailbox was actually out on the road so they didn't have to come in right when somebody had to be yeah i think that's package. the typical scenario yeah yeah uh, in a rural setting but still um, you but get yeah, a dog yeah. who'll come to the end of the gate and maybe jump it or the gates ajar so yeah, yeah. so something to consider um, for sure you're looking well and i know you were in ireland for a couple of weeks and uh Yes. Great scenery and that. So any animal I'm, stories or dog stories from uh, across the pond? Yeah, I'm well rested from my weeks abroad. You look great. Um, yeah, you even have color, <laughs> which most people don't get color in Ireland, but every picture you showed me was sunny. So We were so lucky with the weather. It was incredible. Great. Um, and it was clear and sunny, but not hot. Yeah. Um, because they don't really have a lot of air conditioning in, in most buildings over there. Yeah. Um, so we were lucky on that front that it was very comfortable, uh, mid sixties and sunny almost the entire time we were there. So good, a uh, really beautiful trip. Um, and yeah, I did make some observations. Um, you know, I always kind of keeping an eye out for different, uh, pet stories and, sure. um, of course horses, cause that's my main interest. So I was watching as we were driving through the countryside, seeing how horses were kept. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I, I noticed, and I sent you a picture of this was we were at, uh, the cliffs of Moore, which is very famous, uh, landmark, uh, on the West coast of Ireland. And it, so basically uh, equivalent of their national park. Um, so lots and lots of tourists coming in and out and they had a water fountain out front and at the base of the water fountain was a public dog bowl um, that was just there in existence. And one of the things that we talk about best practices, um, public water, that's a yeah. great way to share diseases. Saliva gets swapped. Um, and yeah. so I immediately thought, Oh, I got to send this to Heidi. Um, yeah. so I thought that was really rather interesting. And I, I think it's kind of a, a cultural thing across the board, across the world that we're all, we're trying to shift and be, uh, you know, everything butterflies and rose petals and uh, be accommodating of, of dogs, but we forget the true best practices and the true, yeah. um, nature of the problems that exist with that. Yeah, it's um, the 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 basis of my podcast. This one in Animal Tales is there's more to the story, and there's a middle ground, and it's not warm and fuzzy, and it's not bad. It's just correct. what it is, and this one yeah. definitely falls into that. There's more stories again about uh, outbreaks of a canine type flu, which they're attributing, mm -hmm. you know, which is in my opinion a lot to do with the water bowls. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, any other so that, observations? Uh, yeah. As we went around, I noticed we were in, uh, Dublin and then, um, into Cork and then into Galway, okay. um, all of which are pretty decent sized cities. Dublin, of course, is huge. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because I didn't see a lot of dogs out in public. 
Um, Interesting. Especially in Dublin in the bigger city. Um, I didn't see very many. There were a few here and there. Um, mostly, uh, I didn't see any out of control behavior, but just the difference in the volume of dogs that I saw in public, um, oh, I thought was, was interesting. Yeah. Um, and they have a climate that's more conducive than where I live in Florida, where it's for sure. like ridiculously hot. And it's like, you know, do these dogs want to be here? But that's not yeah. really an issue for them. So interesting, probably a different mentality about it, huh? Yeah. And I, I would have liked to have maybe, uh, we were on a, a guided tour. So we were hustled about from place to place and uh, on the go all the time. Um, but I think it would have been interesting to have maybe stayed with a local person or been able to spend some time with some local people and ask about how that worked. Um, you know, how their, what their outlook was on, on having pets and, you know, how that culturally was different. Um, sort of a missed opportunity on my part. And unfortunately, um, we don't have the budget to send you back over there to do your research. So it might Maybe be a, in a, couple a of Zoom years. call or something. <laughs> <laughs> but they are, uh, I've been to Ireland and I tell people some of my favorite people on the planet are the Irish and the Dutch. They're just lovely yes. people, but very matter of fact. And yes. I think that could lend itself to that the reason in, you know, I'm speculating here, but having met the folks and kind of understanding the people who do take dogs and such, I think they're just very matter of fact, they're lovely people, but you know, yeah, it's logic is very much kind of at the forefront. Yeah. Um, and a lot less generally emotion. I agree. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's how their decisions are made. Interesting. And so. you know, when all else fails, have a point. There you go. <laughs> that was my experience there. Absolutely. Yeah, great fun. Slancha is the, the toast. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Well, good for you. And you're looking well. So glad Thank to, you. Glad to have you back. Uh, okay. So I think one other thing I wanted to mention, I'm on a lot of threads with dog, uh, dog owners, dog trainers and such. And one of the things, some of the dog trainers have been in it for a long time, as my family has been, anybody could be a dog trainer. Anybody can put an ad or put a shingle out or social media post that says, I will train your dog, right? And mm. if the consumer is uh, educated a bit, they might ask if you have insurance or references or any of that type of stuff. But really, um, it's not regulated in any way. However, New York State is looking at dog training licensing. So very oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. And I meant to look to see if other states have it and I didn't get my homework done. I'm sorry, but uh, I will check right. up on that. But do New York is looking at it and uh, I think that would be interesting. Regulations always scare me a little bit, but at the same time, when you make your living at something that is just, you know, a free for all, you just got to be better at social media or better whatever to get people's attention. Right. So, um, and a lot of the dog trainers have been complaining about it. So it'll be interesting to see if one state does this, especially in New York, a big state. It'll be really interesting to see. And I want to look at what that regulation and language looks like. So uh, that, yeah, that I know in the, in the horse training world, um, I know in a lot of European countries, there's a licensing process. Yeah. And you have to have a certain level of education and a certain level of maybe competitive credentials um, before you're allowed to call yourself a professional. Um, so it'd be interesting to compare 
Yeah. What are they going to, how are they going to legislate that? What are the credentials going to be required? What education level? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That would be interesting to know. Yeah. I know Um, the associations were buzzing about it a little bit and it could, they could come into play a bit there. So, uh, you know, interesting and worth, worth watching. So uh, our main topic today, we tried to make this very timely where this podcast will air in June and it's about fireworks because we want to, we want to help people think through how to get ahead of the curve on that instead of waiting till the day or two before frantically trying to get medicine. And also that mindset of yours will make your dog nervous. So that's our main topic today. I'm Heidi Harriet. I'm joined by Tommy Fahey. And hopefully we're providing some doggone good information. All right, Tommy, you want to uh, kick us off on the, uh, on we're talking about fireworks and how to get ahead of the curve if your dog's afraid of fireworks or if you have a new dog and you're not sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so 4th of July is, is upon us and then just general summer celebrations. Yeah. Um, I, I think people kind of, set off fireworks all the time, depending on where you live, uh. <laughs> uh, depending, you know, depending on regional and then uh, rural or, or urban. Um, and I think what you're saying exactly is get ahead of the curve is the big, the big yeah. overall arching idea of, of our point that we want to make today. Um, always. I know I, I've said this p- before on the podcast that uh, when I was working at the vet clinic, you know, the few weeks, maybe a month before 4th of July, we would start having people ask about medications uh, for their animals. Um, And then usually the week before was a big rush. Um, Everybody going, Oh gosh, I have to get these meds. Um, And exactly what you just said is that it's that mentality. You are prepping, you are ready for it to be bad. Um, So you're telling, you're cueing your animal that it's a stressful situation and it's going to be bad. Exactly. Um, For for days or weeks. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then if you do a quick Google search of, uh, you know, how to work, uh, how to help a dog with fireworks, there's a, there's a bunch of different options and, and they're all about the same as, um, you know, desensitizing prior to, um, so that can be, uh, putting a YouTube video of fireworks on at a, a low volume and then slowly over time getting yes. it louder and louder and louder. Um, there are things talked about, on the day of, if you know, there's going to be a lot of noise, uh, having music playing, uh, making sure that your dog is well confined, um, things like that. I think what goes wrong and then the other one would be medication also. Um, what goes wrong with that is that people wait until the day of to practice any of these, um, options. You say that on the podcast often about, so many things that we yes we get right up to it and then we need we want a quick fix or like help and in fact we need exactly. to prepare yeah and they're, they're just the reality is there is no silver bullet that's going to fix all the problems well i got um, one you could start with what is it how about just be very matter of fact and that in your help. training generally and then at that time Here's how you know if your training program's going good. If you're encountering something that's scary, that whether it's fireworks, the thunderstorm, um, the garbage truck, anything that might be on something nerve-wracking for an animal, if your animal looks up at you to say, 
this this is scary stuff. Am I okay? You look down at them. You've got a couple options. One of the popular options is it's okay. It's okay. And we pet them or scratch them. And as they're, as they're shivering or <clears throat> barking or whatever it is they're doing in their, you know, semi out of control state, I contend that first and foremost, you look at them and say, it's okay. You're going to be fine. Look at me. Pay attention. Look at me. We got this. Yep. And I like, I've always used the analogy and I'm not quite sure why, but for, for decades now, if you're walking with a small child, you're holding their hand and you're, you're walking into something scary, could be a busy intersection, it could be worse than that. And you feel a tremor from this child, a nervous energy, and you're holding their hand and you, you have, if you look down at that child and they're looking, they look up at you terrified and you look down at them and look terrified back. I'm sure they're like, oh shit, I got to handle this, you know. Instead, yeah. I contend you squeeze the hand and not quite a scolding, but to get their attention. Hey, look at me. Pay attention right here. We got this. Yep. This is what we're going to do. And then they're looking to you for guidance. That's how we develop confidence in our animals when we're training, is it not? Horses Absolutely. And we keep saying to them, look at us. And then they start looking at us and we say, you got this. And they're like, okay, Heidi, okay, Tommy, if you say so. <laughs> but I always hear that in their brain, especially if it's a an, more nervous animal I'm working with. They they know they need to look at me, but they're like, I, I don't know, Heidi, I don't know. But it's okay. Yeah. Notice it's going to be fine. Okay. <laughs> but he, they look at you more because they're like, help me through this. Right. That's ah. okay. So that's number one. I contend in what, how you know you're on the right track with your animals. I did iHeart uh, radio on this. I was on about a oh, two dozen markets last year. I'm getting ready to do it again. And I did some research because I know what I would do and I know what I tell people and what I do with my clients. But I thought, let me look and see what's out there. I can't tell you how disappointed I was that it was all addressing symptoms of the problem, which is lack mm -hmm. of training and lack of connection. Brain, it was, I think, your training tip the last time, the mental connection between you and your animal. So we talked, there was Thunder Vest. Even Caesar Milan is selling his brand of Thunder Vest. There's the medication, you know, there's all these uh, puzzles and stuff. Those are all symptoms of the fact that your dog is really nervous and address that. That's the part for me that I'd really like to impart. And you just said it, we do have YouTube. You know, when I was young, we didn't, we couldn't put on a YouTube video of fireworks and have the audio and the video and adjust the volume. And, you know, we just had to kind of figure that out. So, you know, I, Otis is my dog. I'm going to pull a Jimmy Dean on you here. Otis, my black and white pool. <laughs> who is from a hoarder and I've had him now a few months and uh, he's a nervous Nelly and he literally looks nervous about everything. And I, I just grab his head and say, look at me, Otis. Okay, Heidi. Um, that's my voice for Otis. If you haven't figured that out yet, <laughs> he's just this big, beautiful poodle, but he's got this kind of, you know, nervousness. So he's afraid of storms. So I'm pretty sure he's going to be afraid of fireworks. So I'm already started. And I, the other thing, put a leash on that dog. Don't let them go run through the house with their tail between their legs, hiding under every bed and running from room to room. If you had a small child, would you let them do that? 
I submit you probably wouldn't. You'd probably sit them down and get a favorite puzzle or favorite TV show or play a game or whatever, whatever might distract them. Do exactly the same thing. Put a leash on that dog. Keep them with you. Talk to them in a big voice. You're fine, Fifi. You're fine. Nothing to see here. You're good, right? And yes, the occasional dog might need medication. And as you're working through this or getting your training on par. So that's kind of where I come from on it. So something that we really need to be mindful of, because we're having some fun with this, but it's, it's a serious topic. More pets go missing on the 4th of July than any other day of the year. And yes, we're thinking there's loud noises. So if you let your pet outside and they're, you know, you may not know that that standard poodle can jump the fence, but that might, the 4th of July might be the day you find that out. Cats, of course. So there's a recommendation in this. One of these is from the AKC, American Kennel Club. But it's also because you might have people coming in and out of your house. Maybe you're having a barbecue or friends over Mm. and the door gets left open and your pet isn't their normal self because there's a there's an energy in the air and boy they feed off energy tremendously so a serious part of that so with that in mind make sure your microchip is registered and if you're not sure about that ask your vet i know they can help you out with that but um hopefully you have that information somewhere and double check it you can go online and make sure the address in case you moved or something Right. Mm-hmm. Um, ID on your pet, if possible, you know, your tags that would have your information. They suggest a picture of your pet, which is interesting. Uh, nowadays, with social media, most people have plenty of pictures of their pets. But if you're not one of those people, make sure you have a current picture of your pet. That, that would be helpful. And um, yeah, especially if they have any distinct markings. Yeah. Um, make sure that you get that captured in the image. Yeah. Because that can be quite helpful. Yeah. And I find Nextdoor to be a great resource. Again, I've talked about this before. It's not all over the country. I think the more dense your neighborhood, the more urban your area, the more likely Nextdoor is a, is a tool that's utilized. It's an, it's an app. And um, there's always people on there saying their cat was missing or their dog was missing or whatever. And people really rally behind that. So, and of course your shelter, but on a holiday, shelters aren't going to be open or they won't be answering the phones. Yeah, it won't be available. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a consideration. Um, And I was just starting to talk about exercise, uh, your dog. Anytime you have anything coming up that's a little out of the norm. And think about this for people too. I, I have really bad anxiety attacks. My anxiety feeds on caffeine, lack of sleep. And if I, ha- I usually rally for things. I'm, I don't get nervous easily. I get excited. I'm a performer. So I kick into high gear and like, let me at it. So I d- I'm not real fearful about things, but even that energy will sometimes just trip my, my panic disorder. So I do appreciate like in pets that, you know, they just, it wells up and woo, you know, so exercise is the key, man, getting that physical energy out and then get your mental, you know, get mentally connected to that animal. Relax yourself. I I said kiddingly when I did the iHeart last year, 
Somebody asked me about medication. I told you this, Tommy. I was like, <laughs> yes, you should take the medication and your dog will do much better. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and again, I, I don't mean to sound so sarcastic, but there is actually something to that, that if we would calm down and present a stronger, calmer front for our animals, we would have a better outcome. Yeah, I, th I agree with that 100%. I think that's something that's uh, lost on a lot of people. A lot of people are unaware of their own energy. Yeah. Um, that's something I talk to my clients about often, um, yeah. especially new clients when I come into it. I, I'm a very uh, blatantly honest type person. No. Um, <laughs> and I don't tend to sugarcoat much. Um, so I love you, I, Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> You never have to wonder what I'm thinking because no. it just comes out. Yes. Um, but a lot of people are very unaware of themselves. Yeah. And um, I tell people a lot of times that they vibrate up here and I vibrate down here mm -hmm. and they need to kind of come down the energy level. Sometimes I need to come up the energy level. I'm a very low energy type person. Yeah. Um, but we, a lot we of know how are, to check our energy really well. That's part of it. I think yeah. I, I'm the and, same. And you mentioned the, the entertainment thing. I think that's a huge factor has been at least in my life of learning how to take that energy up. And then you walk off stage and you turn okay. it off. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you, I mean, I can be, I remember doing the shows and you're sitting backstage and just like, you know, talking about going out to eat later or talking about how long the day was or how hot it is outside. And then the music comes on and it's your cue and you walk oh, out and you do your big production and you're on stage and you're big and you walk out the backstage and you are right back down to what you were doing right before. And you're talking about, you know, whatever it is in life. And, you know, um, I just, I just was thinking about this the other day cause I was working with Otis and I'm, I'm so adept, you know, I'm a lifelong trainer and had incredible mentors before me and my dad and grandfather, but also a great community of people who I've, my peers, you learn what to do and what not to do. But I worked yeah. with Otis and exactly what you're saying, my energy, I want, I'm teaching him to jump hurdles and do stuff. I'm trying to give him a job and keep him busy. He does so much better than just letting him feed on his old narrative of, I'm scared of everything. So we're mm -hmm. doing tricks. I get my little dog trooper in and we're walking and I, my energy's up and I like drop it way down. I come halfway and I'm, I'm just was thinking about it the other day, like kind of getting into myself and recognizing what I'm doing and how to relay that to clients. That's the part. Sometimes the hardest part to make people understand is the timing of that and how essential. So that's why the energy field that you're giving your dog, if it's a nervous one for your dog, that's all they're taking away from it. She's terrified too. I'm screwed, right? My owner's terrified. I'm terrified. I'm totally screwed. That's what yes. my mind is saying they're telling us in those situations. Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely the truth. Yeah. Um, and start so. now. Start Whenever you watch this podcast, and hopefully you'll share it far and wide, turn on YouTube tonight. And I'm I'm starting this with Otis now um, because I recognized the other day that he was afraid of thunderstorms. So I'm pretty certain he's going to be afraid of the fireworks. But I'm going to put on the YouTube fireworks. I'm still going to work with him very uh, kind of blatantly and matter of fact 
And that will help a lot too. But I am going to mm-hmm. let him hear the fireworks and, and just sit with him and put his leash on so he can't boogie. And you're fine, Otis. And play, he doesn't play fetch or anything, but whatever I could do to distract him. Yeah. I think the the leash, I think, is a key factor here for a lot of people. Um, uh, they Something bad is going on and they don't have control over the animal. Yeah. Um, or they lock the, the animal in a different room. Yeah. Or they lock the animal in the kennel and the dog isn't used to any of that. Yeah. Uh, and then they're wondering, why am I locked up here? Why am I, you know, right. put away in this other room? Um, when having a hold of the dog actually can be a lot more helpful in that scenario. Um, and especially, so going back to our, our scientific thing here, um, there's something called auditory exclusion. Uh, auditory exclusion is when you hit your fight or flight instinct, when you cross over into that sympathetic nervous system and you're, uh, you know, scared or panicked or you're running away you don't hear things. Yeah. You're not tuned in listening to your environment. You are in panic leaving. Um, the same thing. There's visual exclusion. Uh, that's oftentimes if you hear, uh, they were in a blind rage because they don't, you don't see things the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's tactile exclusion also. So because of that, if your dog is, either right at the threshold of panic or has gone beyond that threshold of panic, you need to be able to get a hold of them and help snap them out of it. Um, and I, I think of the, like the old movies. The old movie. <laughs> <That's exactly what> <laughs> <laughs> snap out of it. Um, which the, the nice is equivalent a time of that. Yeah. Yeah. There is a time and a place where you need to say, Hey, focus, yeah. pay attention, Look at me. get Look back at me. here. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think having that tether on your animal is a big deal with that. It's a huge part of training in, you know, so much of it. And there are people, I try to make them understand that and just, they keep telling me they're having problems, but they will not utilize that leash and keep the dog with them and make the dog understand that. So hopefully we've given you a lot to, uh, think about and a lot to put into play here. And if you feel comfortable going to the vet to get your prescription for the dogs, um, that's fine. You could, you know, if you have it on hand, but really try to understand that you can train your waves. You know, people will say, I know there are some dogs you could train, but my dog's not one of them. Mm-hmm. I grew up with hundreds of animals. Like probably that's, that's probably a small amount And in our business, we're around fireworks and distractions and carnival rides or whatever, whatever craziness. Um, And I don't remember an animal that we had to um, sedate for fireworks. Some Mm -hmm. would be a little more nervous than others, but it wasn't to the extent where they're, if it's a horse trying to tear the stall apart or a dog, um, you know, doing something stupid. But I do have to tell you this quick story. So we always had performing dogs. My mother had usually had poodles and she got Jack Russell's. Oh boy. That was a trip. <laughs> um, but she, so we always had a lot of dogs and great dogs, so well-trained and all that. But my sister loved St. Bernard's, my younger sister. So she was probably a teenager or so. 
And my mom let her have a pet St. Bernard, which was crazy because it was a big dog. They slobber the whole thing. Really cool dogs. But she didn't spend any time training the St. Bernard. Here we have these um, these incredibly trained animals that were part of the show. And here's the St. Bernard who doesn't, you know, didn't get that that training. So he was nervous about fireworks. He wasn't crazy, but he would want to go hide in his cage, which was fine. Uh-huh. And then he yeah. felt okay. And there were other dogs there. So he was fine in his kennel, whatever, call it whatever you like, but great. Um, so <laughs> we were on a, a lot. And picture like a fairgrounds and it's pouring down rain. I think it was a thunderstorm, not fireworks, but um, pouring down rain and muddy, terribly muddy. And the St. Bernard gets loose somehow. He doesn't run away. He'll stay around. The owner of the show pulled up to check on everybody, the producer, and had this beautiful Mercedes with white leather seats. (laughs) She opened the back door to get something, and out of nowhere, this probably 90-pound St. Bernard decided that was the best place to be to escape the thunderstorm. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was very funny. So after that, we and the Mercedes was never the same. The dog stays in his kennel and (laughs) said, "Close your doors, people." (laughs) Uh Yeah, she she (laughs) talked about that for years afterward. She actually thought it was pretty funny. It was a story to tell, but I don't know if my parents had to pay to get the Mercedes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, it was a it was a mess. But anyhow, good times. That's great. <laughs> All right, Tommy. So we are up to our, uh, I think we did a good job of providing a lot of information on that as we usually do, but take it in small bites, you know, and um, find what works for you. And again, thunder vest, medication, that kind of stuff. Those are just symptoms of the fact that as you go along and maybe not for this year, keep that training program sharp and you will reap those benefits for years to come. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to repeat a quote I've utilized so many times on here and it's not my quote. I saw it online, but I, it's just so profound and so short training. Your dog is hard. Not training your dog is much harder. So that is so true. Put in the time and you will reap the benefits of that. Uh, so all right. We're so up to, one, one note yeah, on, uh, we talked about the thunder vests and the medications and all of that. Um, if you don't have the time to put in the training before this particular 4th of July coming up, there's nothing wrong with going out and getting medication. Yeah. I agree. But to the same effect as the training methods, you actually have to practice with the thunder vests and the kennel training and the medications. Yeah. Don't wait until the dog is in a panic. So especially when it comes to the drugs, to the to medications, if your dog is already in a panic and you give it certain sedatives, yeah. those sedatives are not going to work. If the adrenaline rush has already come, adrenaline is epinephrine. Um, if the adrenaline rush has already come, it's going to take a half hour or more before the epinephrine is out of their system. If you give a sedative within that time period, the sedative is not going to work. And in some cases is actually going to escalate their adrenaline response. Yeah. I've had that experience with a horse, but yeah. Be careful with using those drugs. Make sure you talk to your veterinarian about exactly how to use them, exact dosages, 
and then practice knowing how it's going to affect your dog um, and give it to them ahead of time so that you're not behind the eight ball when it comes to those things. Yeah, that's great advice, Tommy, because I'm not used to that much medication. I, I didn't think of that. Would it be something where they're role playing with the YouTube and, or there's a thunderstorm or something and you test yeah. out the medicinal, like absolutely some level. Um, so what I mentioned earlier is we we're talking about that threshold of your, your panic, right? Um, and if you, what, what the drugs do is they reduce that threshold or they increase maybe the threshold. So if your normal quiet space is down here and your panic threshold is here, that drug is going to make your panic threshold go up. Oh, okay. So it just increases your uh, ability to take on more stimulus kind of thing yeah. and not panic. So you have to practice with how much is going to work on each particular animal and it's going to be different on each individual. Um, so dosages, you typically go by weight, but every individual is different. Yeah. Okay. So, great. That's yeah. great advice. Thank you for, for throwing that in there. That's really important and just not my wheelhouse, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a common mistake that we hear a lot each year. Um, well, the drugs didn't work well because you didn't use them correctly. Yeah. To give so. you a, I, I, I had, I was questioning whether to tell this story, but since we're talking about the medication, so I grew up in a family of animal trainers and my father worked for Ringling Brothers at times. And it was in the 1980s. Um, I was a young adult and the show went to Japan. My father had uh, probably about 30 head of horses, a dozen or so camels, llamas, maybe zebra um, and some smaller animals. And they were going to all fly over to Europe or to Japan. I'm sorry. My father had flown animals and gone by boat many times. So he was an expert in that. Mm -hmm. So he had some, um, I romp them, ace, something like that available. And he had his crew from the Ringling Circus. Some of them were vet techs. But my sister and I were there. And we're doing this in the middle of the night at Kennedy Airport at the cargo area. And if you've never flown an animal, the, where, the way it works, the, they look like horse trailers without wheels, three abreast. Mm -hmm. That's where the horses and even the camels and the, the hoofstock ride. So yeah. if they load well, you know, no problem. And these animals were well-traveled, well-trained, really, you know, had walked through the streets from the train to the building and that. So it's kind of like... You know, they're, they're more inquisitive than they are nervous about anything. So very well behaved. But, you know, we had probably 45 animals that were being loaded. I wasn't actually working with them. I happened to be doing another job and came by. My mother-in-law lived in New York. And in the middle of the night, I went out to the airport. So my sister and I are my dad's main helpers just because we work together well. Out of 40-some animals... He, there were two that actually got a shot. Yeah. That was it. The rest of them went in their, their thing. They go out onto the runway. They go up and into the belly of the 747. And the staff, including my dad, rode in the 747. It was a cargo. And uh, without incident. And, you know, they, I know they fly racehorses a lot. Breeders will fly, um, you know, high-end stock back and forth. But... 
animals that are trained well and used to that are not problematic. But I, I, I think of that all the time because they only had to give two animals mm-hmm. and he gave them a small dose, you know, it just, um, but it was remarkable. But in my world, it was just, you know, another day kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. I bring that point up a lot, um, with, with my clients, um, they, you know, somebody says, Oh, my horse can't do this or, Oh, my dog does this or yeah. whatever. And I, I often tell your story about marching the animals through the Holland tunnel. Um, but exactly being able to fly horses across the, the, uh, Atlantic the ocean, yeah. we do it all the time. Horses are imported from Europe. Uh, dogs are transported back and forth and you're telling me you can't lead your dog down the street. Right. Like, come on, let's raise the bar on what our expectations are. That is the key. You raise the bar. And you know, it wasn't like we tried dozens of animals and said, Oh, this one won't work. That won't work. My dad was actually to a fault refused to give up. Uh, I mean, and I'm talking about the look of the animal, like not the prettiest animal or not the horse with the most gorgeous mane or the perfect dog. We got the animals that didn't make it in the show ring typically yeah. for, you know, either confirmation or attitude or something. And it was for my dad, it was a challenge and my grandfather as well. So it, it don't think that it was like, well, you take the best of the best and you weed out what you don't. Absolutely not to a fault. Our family did not do that. <laughs> yeah. My dad would be like, oh, no, this horse, this dog, they're going to make it. This camel that tried to kill him, you know, he's like, and they become <laughs> these docile, amazing animals with great personalities. And so anyhow, I digress a little bit, but it's true. Please set your bar higher because we can, these animals are capable of so much and we're bringing them to this nervous energy and frantic point and there aren't fireworks aren't new and dog owners aren't new and pets dog pets aren't new what's new is our nervous energy and the way we are so emotional about all of this that they don't go Mm -hmm. together emotion and best practices in animal care don't go together and believe me we have our share of emotion i've cried over many many animals but I, I also know if I set the bar high and train to the absolute best of my ability, I've secured them for well-being and made them have a great life. And that's what's important to me. So a uh, little, little tag on the end of that, but I think important information. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're on to our, our pet peeve and trainer tips. I have the pet peeve. And um, I'm just going to stay in this vein that Again, we, we've become very emotional. So let's take a step back from that. Let's look at the species and um, look what they're capable of. You know, you either see them on TV or if it's a hunting dog or that, the amazing stuff they do. And then you're challenged in your own home to get them to sit or to mind you or not tear the stuffing out of your couch. So expect more and set the bar high and they will not disappoint you, you know. And... We, we need to do more of that. Let's get the emotion out of it and let's be very practical about what we're looking for. And consult a trainer if you're not sure. And again, when I train with people, a lot of people, I help them with the timing and understanding what they need to do and turn them loose because I know you need to be successful with your own dog. I can be successful with your dog, but I want to empower you. So 
my husband gets annoyed with me. There's no job security in that because <laughs> <laughs> I come over a few times, help you out, and, you're, and they're like, okay. And then I check in on them, and usually it's going pretty well. So kudos to those clients. You want to work yourself out of a job. Yeah, I hope so because you know what? I'm okay with that at this point in my life. And one of the reasons is because the animals are doing well. And that yeah. makes me feel really good. So, yeah, I'll, I'll live with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do you have? What Actually, we're combining our training tip with uh, viewer and listener uh, comments and questions we get. So what are you taking this week, Tommy? So I have the pet peeve this week, correct? No, trainer tip. I just no, I have the trainer tip this week. Yeah. Okay. Uh, trainer tip, we, we've kind of hit on this across the board, is um, preparing before the fireworks come up. Um, but one of the big things you see is confinement. You need to be able to confine your dog so that they don't run away. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that comes to kennel training. One is practice your kennel training. Yes. Um, and then something that we've talked about frequently in the past is, um, mark training, mm -hmm. um, giving your dog a mark. So while you're practicing your kennel training, make the kennel a mark that they have to go to mm -hmm. and practice them staying in the kennel without the door being closed. Yeah. Practice not, not confining them, but then choosing to stay uh, in that confined area. Uh, and that's something you have to do when the environment is controlled, when there's not a lot of external right. stimulus, you know, it's something I do with my own dog, uh, when I'm just hanging out at home watching TV or maybe I'm cooking dinner or cleaning the house. Um, it helps me actually like changing the bed sheets. He wants to jump on the bed and be in the middle of it. Yes. So I tell him to go to his kennel mm -hmm. I leave the door open. Right. Um, but he has to go stay there, lay down and wait until I tell him it's time to, to come out. Yep. Uh, and that's one way that if you have a dog that has a lot of anxiety associated with being confined or being in a kennel, that's one way that you can start working through it. Absolutely. Is to make that a mark rather than actually just shoving them in the, in the kennel and then slamming the door shut and letting them figure it out. You're so practice, practice, on. practice. And that, that falls right in line with your setting your bar higher. It's like, I can't mm -hmm. even get my dog in the kennel, let alone make him stay when the door's open. You can. I promise you, you can. And you absolutely set the can. bar higher and ex have that expectation. Get help if you need it. But if nothing, if you take nothing else away, understand you absolutely can. You can get them over, nine, I would say, 99% of dogs, owners that are listening, you can get your dogs past fireworks or thunderstorms. You can get them to stay in a kennel with the door open. You can do these things. And it's the, not only is it great for you in your home, but something, it's my mantra. You are securing their well-being for their life, whether or not they spend their life with you because you don't have a crystal ball. So that's why we're so passionate about this because I want to leave in my wake well-trained animals, if you go get my dogs right now, they'll go with you. And Otis is still in training, but he'll still be a pretty good boy for you. And it's important to me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the reason I wanted to do the podcast. And I love having fun with it. Enjoy, you know, chatting with Tommy. But at the end of the day, 
We want to we want to have some well-trained animals because it's the best thing we could do for them. It's the right thing. So, great, Tommy, that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, excellent. And um so I hope I hope you got a lot of takeaways from this. Just, you know, rewatch parts of it as you go along. Uh, reach out to us, ask us questions and um, maybe compare notes with your other friends with animals and let's let's really start, you know, taking this forward, move your training program forward. Also, please check out my other podcast, Animal Tales, Heidi Harriet's Animal Tales, where I talk to people who um, work with, train, love and care for animals, such as, uh, you know, the marine mammal trainers or elephants and um, the Iditarod dogs, medical research, all that kind of stuff, where there's quite, you might have questions about it. Is it a good thing? Should we be doing that? I bring experts on that talk about that and really proud of the podcast and the quality of guests I get, I know will impress you. So please check that out as well. And um, please subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us and share it. It's important for others to hear this as well. And I do hope you'll join us next time for more doggone good information. 